0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It is, I don't know if you'll be happy or sad when I say this, but it is last week with the wheel, for now at least. Um, We'll see what for now means and how long it means. Several of you have said that you've really enjoyed it. Um, And part of what, one of the things that I heard today was bouncing around to different spots in the Bible has been a good thing and and I think it has been good. Next week what we're doing, the other guys on our teaching team are going to jump in for a few weeks with um, the passage that has been most significant or powerful in their life or just that God has used in a really big way and so uh, Eric Moreno, Big Daddy Word, our student pastor is kicking us off next week in Luke 5. Um, I won't give away anything that you've texted so far about your thoughts about it. I'll save that so you can you know, reveal next week, but Luke 5 next week and then Darren Foster the week after. Uh, I think he's going to have us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and then we'll keep rolling a few weeks after that. But we need one more passage today for number 12 because we did John 3 last week. So does anybody have anything they want to add? Let's see if you can sneak it in under the wire this week. Got another one to put on the list? Galatians 1. Galatians 1 all right. If we hit that, that's going to be a series. (laughs) (laughs) So, the thoughts are we'll do the wheel today, see which one we hit after the guys teach for the next five weeks. I don't know if we work through this list, because I know some of you have had something on here now for five straight weeks, and it never has gotten picked, and I hate to just never get to it. Um, Could do that. Maybe we'll go back to the wheel. Maybe we'll just work straight through the list. And then I am still thinking about the book of Job at some point. Um, and I know that when Revelation got mentioned, that's more than a week, too. And that could be a really good series for us at some point, just in terms of really helping us practice this method of studying the Bible, of what does this teach about God being the main focus when we come to any section of the Bible. But anyway, for now, this will be our last week. Emory, sweetie, you want to come on up here and give us one more spin? my beautiful assistant, um, see where we land, bring something with you, what do you got, ooh, you been working on that, Emery's been working on a rainbow while she's been sitting out there, that's really good, too bad we don't have like Genesis 9 on here, I guess Revelation's got a rainbow in it though, an emerald rainbow, I never know what that means, but. All right. I like that, sweetie. Thank you. You ready? See what we got. Seven. What's seven? Acts 2. All right. You've been lucky, John. You got John 11. You got Acts 2. Oh, yeah. What do you think? (laughs) You know we'll do that. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the point of this whole thing, right? Anybody, anytime, anywhere? (laughs) I've heard a rumor, by the way, that you're blaming that on John to protect somebody else in your life. I won't, your wife, um, reveal (laughs) who that was that really had Jesus wept as a suggestion, but Lou graciously took the blame for that. All right, Acts 2. I wonder... Is Acts 2 way down here somewhere that we can just do that without having to copy the whole thing again? Why are they so out of order? Acts 2. Hey, hey, hey. That's Acts chapter 1, though. Did I do all of 1 and 2 together one time? I'm going to waste a little time trying to find it like this. Oh, yeah. I forget every week and then. Oh, here's, okay. I guess we read one and two together. We've already got it. Good deal. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn there on your devices or uh, if you've got your Bible with you, let me scroll way down here. And just in case this is your first week with us at all or in this series, um, the reason that we're doing this, and I'll be more brief, if you'd like to hear a longer explanation, just listen to any of the past four weeks, the first few minutes, or basically any week ever on the website. Um, We talk about this a lot, but this isn't just for fun. It has been fun, and it's been fun for me. Um, But the real reason we're doing this is the intentionality of saying we really believe that when we have the Word of God, And then we have the Spirit of God who God gives us to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus. That the people of God as the church have what we need in order for God to speak to us and reveal himself from the truth of his word. For the Spirit to help us both by opening our eyes spiritually to see these truths and softening our hearts to really believe and receive these truths, that we have what we need for God to reveal himself to us so that we can know him, and then also for God to use us to help other people know him, that we could make disciples, that we could grow as disciples or as followers of Jesus and make disciples the way that God calls us to. And so the reason we're doing it this way during this time is because we feel like that this more closely resembles what I think God is going to do in all of our lives on a daily basis when we're really seeking Him and His Word. That, that you're going to sit down with your devotional or your Bible and you're going to read a section every day, we would hope, asking God to speak to you. And that you're going to come to different sections of the Bible. And so we're saying, what does that look like for all of us personally? Not, not when somebody has professionally prepared a message for the day, but just you open up the Bible and how do I learn what God wants to say to me here? How do I help other people see that when God brings people into my life for me to help disciple them and help them understand what God's saying about Himself in the Bible? What does that really look like? So that what's happening during this time isn't so far disconnected from what really should be going on in all of our lives all the time. That this would look more, that we would just sit down together, like kind of the bare bones, strip away all the professional preparation and expertise, and say, let's walk through this together and ask God to speak to us. And so, what we believe about that—the the really reproducible method, the the thing that can be duplicated in all of our lives, all the time, wherever God has us at any moment of life, is for us to, first of all, depend on God in prayer. That we say, God, we need you to do a spiritual work right now. So we're going to pray. And we're going to ask you to speak. We're going to ask you to teach. That the words that are said right now will be your words. Not mine, not anybody else's. The things that God puts on your heart to share, that they'll really come from him. So he'll speak. Then we're going to focus on God, just with this assumption that we believe gets confirmed over and over and over throughout the whole Bible when we have eyes to see it, that the whole Bible's about God. Just like your whole life's about God and my whole life's about God and the entire world is really about God. Whether we see it or not, that is true. He's the center of everything. He's the foundation of everything. So we depend on God in prayer and then we focus on God by asking this one huge question. What's this teach about God? That wherever we are in the Bible, whatever we start reading, whatever you might think it's about It's about God, first and foremost, and that if we ask that question, it really helps us start in the right direction of understanding any passage we fall in. So part of the idea is here, you can throw out anything you want, and we'll spin this wheel, and it can be anything we want, and without looking at it ahead of time, we know this. This is going to teach us something about God, and so we're going to ask that question in just a minute. What's this teach about God? And then we believe that the answers to that, the answers we get about God, aren't just information and facts so that you can store them in your mind and have a little more religious knowledge. That, that's not the purpose. That God wants to use the truths about who he is to impact us on a really personal and spiritual level. And so then our third step is that we want our heart to be changed by God. For him to be doing a spiritual work where these truths are, are sinking into our hearts and saturating our hearts and changing us, and and making us more like Jesus as God does a spiritual work with the truth that he's teaching us about himself. And then we end with, if that's really going to happen, if there's going to be spiritual fruit and spiritual change in our life, that it requires the grace of God, that we're dependent on God to do that. And so we, we pray again, we say, God, will you do this in us? And then will you, as you fill us up with your grace, will that flow out of us, use us to pour that grace out to others, help us, the things you're showing us, help us share them with others. So, depend on God. We're going to pray together. Focus on God as we read Acts chapter 2. What's this teach about God? Hearts changed by God. God, what do you want to say to us? Apply this to our life. Apply this to right where we are right now. Apply this to this church and be changing us. And then we need your grace for that. Grace from God. We're going to ask for that and ask you to use us to share it with others. So I'm going to pray for us right now and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And then I'll read this and we'll be asking, what's this teach about God? So here we go. Let's pray together. Father, please teach us right now by your spirit from your word as only you can. Help us as we jump into this text to see the things that you want us to see. Help me to say the things that you want me to say and to not say the things you don't want me to say. Show us as a church, as a a body united together, the things that you want us to focus on during this time so that we will know you more, so that we will love you more, so that we will be more in awe of you, so that we will trust you more. And Father, I ask you to do the work that only you can do right now in our hearts, in our lives, in this church, in your world, for your purposes and for your glory. We need your grace completely and utterly and desperately. And we trust you that you are giving your grace because of Jesus, in Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray right now. Amen. All right, Acts 2, since we're jumping into a second chapter of a book, just real quickly, um, if you're looking at the whole Bible, the first, like we call it the first half, but it's like two-thirds of the Bible, it's called the Old Testament. And it's all, historically, if you were to put everything that happens in the Old Testament, that's all before Jesus is born. And then the second half of the Bible, which is like content-wise about a third, but comes from the time Jesus is born until about 60 or 70 years after his resurrection. So almost a hundred-year period, everything in, this, in the New Testament is written. Um, or happens and is written. And so Acts is Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and Acts picks up after his resurrection the first 40 days while he's still on earth in his resurrected body talking to the disciples. But in the first chapter of Acts, he ascends into heaven. He's just given the command to his disciples. or First of all, the promise that when I go into heaven, my my Father is going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to come on you, and you'll receive spiritual power from my Father, God the Father. And the purpose of that power is so that you can, Jesus says, you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the city where they were. Judea, you can think of it as the, the region around that city. Samaria is the northern half of the country, so it's just like he's literally talking. Start locally, and it's going to expand, and it's going to grow all the way to the ends of the earth. Like It's very clear marching orders for, the, for his disciples, for the church. Right? When you receive the Spirit, the reason God gives you his Spirit is so that you will have spiritual power. When Jesus says to be my witnesses, he's saying to make me known. Like You will make me known all over the world. That is why the church exists, to make Jesus known, for the name of Jesus, so that people from every tongue, tribe, nation on earth will know Jesus, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, worship Jesus. That's why we're here. And so that's chapter 1. In chapter 2, the things that Jesus has promised in chapter 1 are about to happen. So this is the birth of the church. This is the Holy Spirit coming on the people of God for the very first time in the history of the world, and the church starts as the followers of Jesus. Is that a good summary? Did I say anything confusing right then? Or because that's just like I was we good? So here we go. All right, chapter two. So it is like I'm telling you, you get up here and start talking, and you have no idea ahead of time what's about to come out. And it's nerve-wracking sometimes. So here we go. Chapter two, that's where we are. And like this is birth of the church, like first moment. This is a huge chapter. What's this teach us about God? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right. What's that teach us about God? And I know you can see some of our notes from last time. Sorry if that was a distraction. But I think it's been like a year and a half since we did Acts 2. So it's... Always great to go back some, and, and see some of these passages again because everything that God says to us connects to everything else He says and, and enhances our understanding of where we've been, and especially a passage like this that's so significant to who we're supposed to be as the church. Um, so, what stands out to you this morning? Truths about God as a starting place, and that we can build on those and say, if these things are true about God, what's He saying to us as a church and as His people? Verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, what does this mean? Others, mocking, said they were filled with new wine. Yeah, so we've got God gives spiritual eyes to see and hear. And another way to say that is, It's really spiritual eyes and ears, I guess you hear with your ears, but you know what I mean. Spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear. And apart from that, apart from God's grace, we will completely miss, misunderstand, mock What God is doing. Like this is the work of God. Like this is the most significant spiritual work, in some ways, that God has done for His people in the history of the world. Like Jesus died and was resurrected, so that this promise right here can happen. That that, that His death, resurrection, when He ascends into heaven, is so that the Spirit of God can now come and live. And like we have been made right with God, Jesus has taken away our sin so that we can be connected to a holy God. He's given us his righteousness so that the Spirit of God can live in us without any type of barrier separating us from God. And when this happens, like when God is doing that thing, the people standing there, when they don't have the eyes to see, they have a natural, human, worldly explanation. They're just drunk. They mock the work of God. Some are amazed in the sense of, I'm in awe at what God's doing. Others are amazed, like, how are they already drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning? That's what Peter says. They're not drunk. They have not have time to get drunk. Like, it does tickle me. That's Peter's response. Like, okay, you want to give a worldly explanation? You think they're drunk? Here's my worldly answer. It's 9 in the morning. Like, but in all, like, with the spiritual truth right here, and th- this is number one in our steps, like, depend on God. If God doesn't do what only God can do, by His grace, by His Spirit, we will miss it. I hope that this will humble you and humble me to the extent that it should. The things that matter most in your life, in my life, and in this church, and in the world, and in everybody's life that you know, all of it, is something that you and I can't do apart from God. We don't have the power and the ability in and of ourselves It is only through dependence on Him. It is only through faith in Him, trusting Him, turning to Him, relying on Him, asking Him, believing and receiving from Him what only He can give. You will not understand these spiritual truths the way you need to. You will not know God the way that you need to. Your heart will not be changed the way that it needs to. And you won't be able to change anybody else's heart or make them see it either on your own. But... Like as humbling as that is, and you've got to know that about you because we spend so much time and effort and energy trying to do this ourselves in a million different ways for us and for everybody in our life. And we don't even realize we're doing it most of the time because it's so natural to us to depend on ourselves and rely on ourselves and trust in ourselves. Right. At the very same time, like when you see that about yourself and you're humbled by that, at the very same time, the, the complimentary truth is God doesn't ask you to do it on your own. God doesn't tell you to do it on your own. God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. God doesn't want you to do it on your own. The whole thing he's saying right here is, I know you can't do it on your own. I know what you need. I'm giving it to you. But <laughs> the, the last promise Jesus makes before he goes to heaven is power, spiritual power from the Spirit of God will come on you. I will give you what you need, and you never have to do this on your own. He's always with you. He's living inside of you. He's opening your eyes. He's opening your ears. He's softening your heart. He's helping you understand. He's helping you know what to say. It's another reason why we're doing this this way right now. For us just to come up here and say, okay, let's strip every single thing away. God, right here in this moment, tell us what, what you want us to study. God, right here in this moment, show us. Like you know better than any of us what we need to see today, what we need to hear from you. So you tell us. And that—that's every day of our life. It's not just this time each week. And so, yeah, like none of, apart from God's grace, apart from His spiritual gift to us, the spiritual things that we most desperately need, we won't get there. We can't do it. But he gives his grace because of Jesus, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God gives his grace, and God gives his spirit, and God does open eyes, and God does soften hearts, and God does help us to understand. And God, like, a- a- as feeble and faltering as our attempts are to speak these words and teach these truths and help other people see Jesus, and you may think, I, I, can- I just can't do it. Like, I can't explain it, or I can't answer, I don't know enough. I, I know you don't. <laughs> None of us do, Right? That's not how God, he does, God does not do this because you know enough or you have enough answers or you can explain enough. That's not how he does this thing. He does it because he's enough. And he likes using people who know they aren't enough because it makes it all the more clear that he is enough. Like when he uses you or me and he does this, like he does a spiritual work that you and I can't do, it's not, it's not easy. We can still pull it off in our pride, but it's not easy for us to get confused by, well, I did that. Look what I pulled off. I, I couldn't pull that. If you know up front, you can't pull it off. When he pulls it off, you're much more likely to say, he pulled it off. <laughs> he gets the credit he should get. He gets the glory he should get. And that's the purpose of the whole thing, that you would know he did it, and they would know he did it, and we could all celebrate together that he did it. That we would get to the end of Acts chapter 2, and there are people in awe of God. Like, nobody gets to the end of Acts 2, as far as we can tell. It's like, man, Peter, he was a good preacher. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Peter, can you write a book about that and tell us how to preach that way? Let's hold a conference, and we need to teach all the preachers how to preach like Peter. Nobody thinks Peter did that, right? And just to make it as clear as he can from day one right here, God's like, you know what? I'm going to reach people that you can't even talk to today. You don't speak, I I think if you count, it's like 15 different languages. Peter's speaking one. And God supernaturally, and it's not that he always does this exact thing, but I think this is an illustration for us. It's like a really visible illustration of what continues to go on spiritually throughout the whole history of the church, where God's like, you cannot, you are incapable of reaching them. But I'll use you to reach them. My spirit will work through you to reach them in a way that you never could, and they get to the end of the chapter, and they're in awe of God, because God did it. Peter didn't do it. The apostles didn't do it. Those early believers didn't do it. God did it by his spirit, through his people. And just to go ahead and cap it off, do you notice how many times in this one chapter, like this one sermon, first sermon in the history of the church, and Peter just keeps quoting the Bible. He quotes the Old Testament, which is the whole Bible they had at that time, over and over and over. So here you've got the people of God, filled with the spirit of God for the very first time, declaring the word of God. And God builds his church that way. This was his plan from the beginning, and he's never changed. Now we've decided to try a whole bunch of other stuff, and build a whole bunch of other things on other things that aren't really this. But this is how he has always done it from the beginning. And this is how he's still doing it today. And I just I want us to believe that as fully as we can. And to live that out as fully as we will. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God. That is God's plan. That is God's way to reach his world and build his church. Phil, that was a good one. <laughs> what else? Ah, that that's great, yeah. You know, so I mean God will make himself known. I mean when man tries to do it himself, which is distorted. And he does the polar opposite here to make himself known to let everybody know what's about him. And then he takes Simon's put in mouth and sees Peter to uh you know, to give the first medicine. Help me remember everything right here, because 'cause you've said a lot and how If you're listening online, I'll try to summarize this for you. Um, And if you didn't hear John, right there. So another thing that we say about the Bible a lot that helps inform the way that we study, we we often say the Bible's a spiritual book, which helps remind us of, of our need for spiritual help and spiritual power from God. It's why we would pray, and it's why we look for a spiritual work and not just human intellectual growth. So it's a spiritual book, but we also say the Bible's one connected story. That once you realize that the whole thing's about God, He's been there from the very beginning to the very end, and he's in every story. Like He connects the whole thing. It's always about him. He's always been teaching stuff about himself. And there are these strands or themes that are woven throughout the whole thing. And every little, little story within the big story helps us understand those strands and themes together. And there's times when he connects stuff for us that, that we've never seen before. <laughs> And when he does, like both pieces amplify each other, and we can understand it better. So, one of the connections that John's making for us right here is all the way back almost at the beginning of the Bible, like, you know, the first, 11, Genesis chapter 11, so the 11th chapter of the Bible. There's over a thousand chapters. You're in chapter 11 right here. At the Tower of Babel, at that point in time, in the world, everybody speaks one language. And in their pride and self reliance, people decide we're going to build this gigantic tower to heaven to make a name for ourselves like we're going to build this tower and, and we're going to be enough and we're going to and we're going everybody's going to see how great we are and it, it seems to be symbolic of we can get to heaven by our own effort like we can build our way there we can work our way there we can come up with a plan And so, God, and I think there's all sorts of spiritual truths that get fleshed out over time as you go throughout the rest of the Old Testament story and into the New Testament. God knows there's no such thing as you can do this on your own. And there's no such thing as we'll rely on ourselves and get there. He knows that that's the worst possible thing that that we could ever try to do. And so, in an act of both judgment on their pride, but grace in frustrating their plans that aren't part of His purposes, He comes down and He mixes up all their languages. Instead of one language where they can all communicate. Because basically what happened was God was like, with your one language, you're all just feeding each other's pride and self-reliance. <laughs> like You've you, you, you joined together not to know God more, but to turn them further away from God. So I'm going to split that up. I'm going to bust. Like, it's, it's not like having a good team in sports that works together. For- it's like having a really terrible team that makes each other worse. And so he, he confuses all their languages so they can't communicate. And, you know, and they're scattered out with different languages, and you get the beginning of different cultures, different nations, different races, like all that coming out of that moment. But so there, in their sin and pride, this attempt to rely on themselves, God frustrates it by creating different languages. Now we come full circle. That's almost the beginning of time. Now here's the beginning of church, and see God redeeming that. See God healing that. See God bringing together something that he had scattered way back then. Because now, to make them dependent on him, to show I'm the only one who can do this spiritual work. Here it was one language and he blew it up into a bunch of languages. Here it's a bunch of languages and he unites it in one meaning, one message. He communicates in a unified way to all these people. And he brings them together, the people that have been scattered in Genesis 11. He heals them and he brings them together in a united people in the church. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different nationalities, united in Jesus. The only thing they have in common right here in this moment is that they are all hearing the truth of who Jesus is and being drawn to God and they're believing it. And you've got 3,000 people from all these different backgrounds and it is like just to see the redemptive work of God. See God coming in and undoing the effects of sin and judgment. See his grace in pulling, bringing something back together that was shattered by human pride and sin. So that's one part of it. And then you said something else at the end. Oh, Peter. Yeah, yeah. like Just to just yeah, hammer even more that God does this, and it is grace. And, and, and the way that you should see this piece is if God will use Peter, God will use you. Because you look... In the Gospels, when Jesus is on Earth, like the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are are the four written by each of the guys by that name. Four accounts of Jesus' time on Earth, and within the Gospels, these twelve apostles that Jesus calls that that follow him most closely during that time that he's teaching. Out of the twelve, Peter is the one who most publicly fails most often. (laughs) Right now, he's—they're all a disaster. Okay, I mean they are like they are us. We are them. Like it's just it's almost a comedy of errors of them misunderstanding Jesus, not knowing what he means, thinking on an earthly level when he's speaking about heavenly things. He gives a spiritual illustration and they interpret it literally. Like they just they miss it all the time. They want to kill people when he wants to save them. Like it's just it's everything. But with Peter, like every now and then he'll have a really like great. Like he'll speak and it's a great moment. And Jesus will be like, well, God gave that to you because that's the only time you have great moments. And then he'll speak and he'll have terrible moments. And then, you know, there's the, there's the one where Jesus looks at him and he's like, get behind me, Satan. Like what you've said is so diabolical that it could only come from the devil. And so that's like Peter just has these terrible moments where he just, like he, he fails in, in, in spectacular ways. <laughs> they all fail, but he fails in spectacular ways. Then he ends, like, with his mouth, this failure at Jesus' moment of greatest need. He's been arrested. He's on trial. He's been abandoned by everybody. And they all run off. And then Peter, like, in his bravado, has already declared to Jesus, even if everybody else abandons you, I never will. I'll die for you. And you see his arrogance, his, his self-belief. And then he's the one in that time that three times with his mouth, his words that night— He denies even knowing who Jesus is. I don't know him. I have no idea. It says he calls down curses from heaven on himself. I don't know the man. That's who Peter is. And, of course, if you want to go read John 21, which would be really close, really, really close chronologically to where we are in Acts 2, Jesus comes after his resurrection and, and directly deals with Peter's denial and reinstates him grace and forgiveness and and makes it very clear like hey you're still you are still mine <laughs> like you you can't get away you can deny me but i'm not going to deny you and so in the the reinstatement of peter there he's, he keeps saying do you love me and peter says you know i love you like, feed my sheep do you love me you know i love you feed my sheep and, and feed them on the word like feed them spiritually and then we see right here, like him using Peter in that way. But yeah, the, the guy that he chooses to speak these words the very first time in the history of the church, the first spoken sermon declaring who Jesus is, is the guy who had most completely and spectacularly and publicly used his words to deny Jesus and show how wretched his own heart was. But he, he had 120 followers he could have chosen here. He had 12 apostles. They've already replaced Judas at this point. He had 12 apostles he could have chosen. And he picks the one who's been the the most public scandal out of all of them. Why? Because of the same theme that we see over and over and over and over. Because you will know that Peter didn't earn this position. You will know that Peter didn't deserve this. It is the grace of God. This is what God does. If God uses Peter, God will use you. This is the same grace that God offers to you. The same spirit that God offers to you. I I promise you, whatever you've done, and it may be awful. I've done awful stuff in my life. There's awful stuff in my heart. There's awful stuff in your heart. I know there is. Not because I know the stuff. I just know you're a human like me. But I promise you, whatever it is, it's not any worse than Peter denying Jesus at that moment in that way. Now, this may be humbling too. It's as bad. It may not have expressed itself in that way, but the stuff in your heart is what was in Peter's heart when he protected himself in that moment and denied Jesus, when he put himself before Jesus. Like, you are Peter, but I just I promise you, whatever it is, you're no farther gone than he was. You're no worse than he was. And God had grace for him, and God has grace for you. God could use him, and God can use you. God still loved him, and God still loves you. God had purposes for him, and God has purposes for you. Like, this is how God does it. It's not an exception to the rule. Read the whole story. Start, it's what he does over and over and over and over and over. This is the way that, like if you want a summary of it, 1 Corinthians 1, here's the way Paul summarizes just the work of God over and over and over in his people. We're seeing it here in Acts 2, but you see it everywhere. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That God, When God chooses you, it's not because of any positive characteristic you have. It's not because you're so wise or so strong or so influential. It's not because you're so established. It's not because of the power or success or prestige or, or the size of your platform. It's none of that. When God chooses you, it's for everything that we would think would disqualify us. For everything that the the world would never choose somebody. God looks and he says, I see your weakness. I see your foolishness. I see the ways that you lack. I see the gaps and the holes in you and the things that you're not. I see the ways that you're not enough. And we're like, oh, he sees all that, I'm done for. He's like, no, no, no. That's what I'm drawn to. I choose you because of that. I'll feel that. I'll be your strength. That's what he said that Jesus became for us wisdom and holiness and righteousness from God. Jesus became our redemption. He took our worst things, our biggest faults, and He redeems them. He takes our biggest holes and He fills them up. He takes our biggest weaknesses and He covers them with His strength. He takes our foolishness and He becomes wisdom for us. And so, whatever it is, whatever it is that makes you hesitant, whatever it is that makes you bashful to step out in a bold way and make Jesus know, whatever things that you, like the things that you fall back on that are your crutch, you're like here's why I can't do that, that is the very reason God can use you. And so, bring it to Him and confess and give it to Him and say, God, I need, I can't do this. That is the right statement. You can't, but He can. And he's offering you all of that in Jesus. That is who he chooses. That is how he works. So, yeah, even using Peter right here, like we see the grace of God. We see the gospel in the fact that the guy that denies Jesus with his words is the guy that gets to preach Jesus with his words. And you know what flips it in between right here? The death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what changes. Peter doesn't change. Jesus changes the entire world by dying and coming back to life. That's what's changed in between Peter denying with his words and Peter getting to preach with his words. What else? A couple more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this is, I think this is what Adam's saying, and Adam, if I like put it into words you don't mean, just add more or clarify. But I think we could agree by reading this chapter that Jesus is the one building his church here. Like it's not Peter, it's not humans. There's something happening here that so Sometimes we have this question, like, is God building this or are we building this? Like, is this the kind of human thing that humans can do and it's going to get human results? Or is this really a spiritual thing that only God can do and there's going to be spiritual results? It's pretty clear in Acts chapter 2, this is one of those God things. So this is Jesus building it. And so I think one of the great things for us to see is when Jesus builds his church, like he's really the one building it and it's the real church, what does that look like? Because we can build a lot of stuff that's our stuff, and we can think that it looks like something good. And we can think, well, that, that's what church ought to be. And, and we won't even know on the outside, hey, that's not the thing that God builds. Like well, When we build, we'll get what we can get. When Jesus builds, we get what Jesus intends for his church to be. And so when we look at this right here, we see, oh, when Jesus builds the church, this is what he intends for it to be. And then we get to look at ourselves and say, so is that who we're becoming? Like, are we living this, like, do we look more and more like what Jesus makes his church look like? If the answer is no, then we step back and say, okay, where are the the areas that we're building instead of trusting him to build? What are the things that we're doing that are just of us and not of him, not because of him, not in reliance on him. But also when we step back and we're like, okay, yeah, like I, I see this, and I know it's not perfect here. And I know we got a long way to go, but I do see like in seed form uh, like the attempt for us to really say, we want to be Jesus' church, and we want to look that way. And so th- this, this connects to that. Let's ask Jesus to keep causing growth here. Let's ask Jesus to keep building in this way. And so it can, it can be a correction for us in the areas where we're off course, and it can also be an encouragement. So when Jesus builds his church, here's the kind of stuff we see going on in people's hearts and in in that church as a whole. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we've just said, like, what do you see? If I was going to give you two summaries for when Peter preaches this sermon, here's what the apostles are teaching. The Bible, right, like he quotes the Old Testament over and over and over in that first sermon, and Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Like, do you hear him hammer it? Like, starting right here. Well, it's, it's maybe too much of it. All right, this Jesus, here's, he turns the corner right here. This Jesus, God sent him to die. It was God's plan. It's God's grace to you, but you killed him. Well, here's what you know about this Jesus after you killed him. God raised him up. It's the death of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And then he goes right back to the Old Testament and shows how this fulfills things that God already said in the Bible. And this is still like all that's still quoted in the Old Testament. It's out of Psalms. And then Jesus says, look, I'm going to tell you something. When David wrote that Psalm, he wasn't talking about himself because Jesus is better than David. Now, that's what he, look, David died and was buried, and you can go to his tomb right now. Like, his tomb's still with us. That's what he's saying. Jesus died and was buried, and if you go to his tomb, he's not there. That's the point right there. Like, you can, like, for these people, this was 40, 50 days, this 50 days after Jesus was crucified and buried. Like They knew where he was buried. And he wasn't there. Peter, there's something different about Jesus. Like this is from the very beginning. This is the message of the church. There is something different about Jesus. Nobody's like Jesus. David's the greatest king in the history of Israel, and he stands in the middle of Israel. He stands in Jerusalem. That was David's city. He stands in the city of David, and he's like, Jesus is better than David. This will be our message from day one, and it will never change for the church. There's nobody like Jesus. So he's quoting the Bible. He's declaring Jesus. He says David, David was speaking about the resurrection of the Christ. He didn't know yet. It was almost 1,000 years before Jesus came when David wrote that. He didn't know that he was going to be Jesus. He didn't know the name Jesus yet. He just knew that God had promised this Christ, this Messiah. This Jesus is that guy. This is who God had David write about a thousand years earlier. One connected story. This is the one who fulfills everything that couldn't be fulfilled in David. The things that God spoke that weren't about David, they were about Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and we've seen it. Like These people, they were alive when it happened. We're standing here today telling you what we've seen and what you've seen. Now Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. He's received this promise from the Father, the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus what Jesus earned by his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his powerful resurrection, the thing that he got from God, he doesn't keep for himself. He pours this out for you. Everything that he's received from the Father, he pours out for you. Lavishes on you all the grace in his account. Gives his spirit to you. Not David. David's not the one that did this. David already knew there was a Lord greater than him. Therefore, let everybody know, the whole house of Israel, everybody that's here today, that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so, the very first thing we see right here, the apostles are teaching the Bible and they're declaring who Jesus is. And the church that Jesus builds devotes themselves to that type of teaching. Like This will be our foundation. This will be our life. God revealing himself in the Bible, God revealing who Jesus is, that that is everything for us. It is the means by which the church is built, and it is the mission the church has been given. So when Jesus builds his church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and this is, Adam was hitting on this, there's, there's community that's created. There's a unity. And listen, this is not, oh, unity for the sake of unity. Right? This is not, hey, we're, we're going to all just try to pretend to get along so we can say we're united. Now this is, there is something central that is so significant to all of us. We've all been drawn to this thing, and this thing is Jesus right? That that if Jesus is here and I'm drawn to, and let's say I'm all the way over here and you're all the way over there. We're as far apart as we can be, but I'm drawn to Jesus and you're drawn to Jesus. We'll be united, but it won't be because we're focused on unity. It'll be because we're both focused on Jesus. Jesus will unite us. Like that, that is what they have in common. That's all they have in common. But Jesus creates this real fellowship, this real connection, real relationship. It's one of the things that we want to help facilitate. We cannot create it, but we want to help facilitate in our community groups that you would be in a setting where you could get to know people more intimately, that you could share what's going on with your life, that you could pray for each other. It can't happen in a setting this big. And I know like we're super informal compared to a lot of worship settings, but it's still too formal of a setting and too large of a setting for you to really know each other. We would love for every single one of you to be plugged into a community group and to be serving in ministries. It's another way that it happens here, where you can really get to know the people in this body. And, and none of us are going to be able to get to know everybody that way. But we're talking about some really intimate connections where you're saying, we're going to do life together. We're going to support each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and be there with each other. They devoted themselves to that type of fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So praying together, the breaking of bread, some people take that as like sharing meals in their house. Other people take it like this, the, as a more official taking the Lord's Supper together. I just say both. Have meals together in your homes and let's take the Lord's Supper. We do that the first Sunday of every month and we bring the kids in as well just so there can be a a unity in that as well. All came upon every soul. This is worship right here. This is, yeah, seeing in awe of who God is, like every word that we sing that's true about him, that your heart would be in awe of that and praising him. But also, this, this is a lifestyle. Like this is, I'm in awe of the fact that God takes wretched people like Peter and wretched people like me and then he does this work, that this would be the extent of God's grace. That this is the type of God he is. That he's a God of love and mercy and grace. He's a God of power. That he's a God who would love me so intimately that he would come and live inside me. And when there's no way that I could ever, ever be qualified or holy enough for him to do that, he'll make a way. He doesn't look at me and say, get yourself right and I'll come live with you. He says, I'll get you right so I can come live with you. Jesus will die so that you can be right so I can come live with you. Be in awe of the fact that the God who spoke everything into existence speaks that about you, speaks that type of love towards you. He pours out his power and does miracles through the apostles to confirm what they're saying is true. This is the first time this message has busted into the world. And he's like, if you just need to know, if you need like visible external proof that they are speaking for God, God says, here, I'll give my power and these miracles will confirm it. These miracles aren't the thing that saved the people, right? It's the truth of the word. It's the gospel of Jesus. But the miracles are evidence that what they're saying is true. All who believed were together. And so this, this further describes the type of fellowship that Adam was talking about when we come down here. And you see that it's, it is sharing their life with one another. like Really, like spending time together and sharing their life so much that I don't have possessions anymore. And you don't have possessions anymore. I don't own stuff, I man. You don't own stuff. We all have stuff that God has given. We have money, resources, stuff, land that God has given us. And it's His. And because it's His, it's ours. And like one of the simplest expressions of this is when we all come together and we give tithes and offerings to a church that it's not my church, it's not your church, and it doesn't exist like for my benefit or for your, it's us saying we have this in common. We believe that the gospel of Jesus is worth it. We believe that the mission of Jesus is worth it. We believe that Jesus is so valuable that, yeah, yes, I want to give to support that, and I want to take some of what God has given me, and I want to join that with some of what God has given to you, and we're going to join that together, and we're going to ask God to show us how to use that to fulfill this mission on earth. That we will invest earthly resources in these spiritual purposes because we've got that in common. We have that love for Jesus in common. We have the value of Jesus in common. We believe the gospel's worth it. We have that belief in common. And so, when you think about giving or how to give or why to give or any of those things, like I pray that it is not for any worldly purpose. It's not even like, and this is the one that we can most often turn it, it's not to keep this organization going. It's not so we can have this building or a bigger and fancier building. Right? It's not so that we can turn these lights on. God doesn't need any of that. You know, God started the church without a building. God started the church outside with a crowd that couldn't understand what the preacher was saying. (laughs) You think he needs this to fulfill the Great Commission? He may use this in his grace and his mercy, or he may rescue us from this in his grace and his mercy if this gets in the way of us trusting him. So we don't give for those reasons. We don't give, give to build an organization. We don't give to build some name here on earth. We don't. We give because Jesus is worth it and we're united in believing He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth more than what I give. He's worth more than anything else I'll do with that. And it's a it's a great way for us to come and say, I believe this and you believe this and we believe this together, and we 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 give this together, not as what I give and what as you give, but what we give that God has given to us for God's purposes. And that we would pray that God in His grace then takes something material and physical and worldly and turns it into something far greater, something that that is temporary and fleeting and trivial and won't last, that you will not have any of it after you die. And depending on what happens in the world in the next 20 or 30 years, you may not have any of it before you die. Like, it's going away one way or the other. But God will take something that trivial and that fleeting and He'll turn it into something eternal and lasting. And when Jesus says treasures in heaven that thieves can't steal, that moth and rust can't destroy, that it will matter forever and it will last forever, what a grace of God that he says, I'll let you take something that won't matter forever, won't last forever, you can't keep forever, and if you will invest it in my kingdom, I will turn it into something that will matter forever and will last forever, and you can keep forever. We would be foolish not to take that trade. And so that's everything in common. Pulled together. Okay, if there's a need, we're going to meet it. Because Jesus has united us that way. Since so, so that's what they were doing. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. So again, meals, Lord's Supper. And also notice this, by the way. So here they are. By the way, I love verse 46 for this reason. I know we've got to wrap up here verse 46. Do you know what the temple is at this point? A lot of people think, oh, that's the early church building. That's not the early church building. The temple is where the Jews meet. These early Christians are, if you want to call it, the religious enemies of the Jews. The Jews, the Jewish religious leaders, are the ones who killed Jesus 50 days ago. And they're the ones that in the very next chapter start arresting these apostles and these early believers and throwing them in prison and threatening to kill them for talking about Jesus. And so here's what they do. They walk in to a non-Christian religious facility and they hijack it for Jesus. (laughs) Spiritually speaking, right? They're like, we're going to go to somebody else's religious service where they don't believe in Jesus yet, and we're going to talk about Jesus every single day. I love that. <laughs> like, don't, don't start to think that if you were to speak up at work or speak up at school or speak up on your sports team about Jesus that you would be out of line with what the Bible tells you to do. <laughs> Hijack all those things for Jesus. Speak about Jesus in all those places. Here they are in the Jewish temple talking about Jesus and then also in their homes in these smaller groups together, reminding each other all the time, encouraging each other all the time, getting together and saying, yeah, we believe this together so much that our lives are together. Now, this is who Jesus is, and I know it, and you know it, and it's all the hope that we both have. And so we share that one hope, and we're together in a way that we could never have been otherwise. Praising God. By the way, heart change here with glad and generous hearts. That it, this isn't just external religious obedience. It's not just a religious act on the outside. Something's changing in their hearts, and that's why this is flowing out. Praising God, because He's the one that's doing every single bit of it. That they know for this type of life to exist, this type of drastic change in people, this type of fellowship and unity and love for God and generosity, only God produces that. So we're going to praise God. We're going to thank God. Every time we see an expression of this, we're going to say, this is God and not us. This is because of God. Thank God. Praise God that he would do this for people like us. Having favor with all the people, Adam pointed this out, that that this this type of love and grace and fellowship that God was producing in them, this type of generosity that God was producing through them, that it made an impression on people on the outside. They, they saw it, and they were drawn to it. Now, this is one of the things about a connected story. This doesn't mean that everybody always approved of everything they did, because it takes you one more chapter for the religious leaders to start arresting them, persecuting them, beating them, throwing them in prison. It only takes four more chapters before the first Christian gets killed as a martyr. That's Ch- Stephen in chapter 6 and 7. So we're not far from that at all. But this is that the people looked at what they were doing, and they couldn't say, What they say is not real because they don't love people. They don't care about people. They don't show grace to people. They're not generous. Nobody could make that type of accusation because what was happening in their hearts was so real. And God used what he was doing in them. This is why we end where we end every week. We say, grace from God for your heart and mine, yes. like He's got to change our hearts But then the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved, not just for us, but for the other people that God wants to reach through us. He's doing this in you, not just for you. He's doing this in us, not just for us, but for the name of Jesus in the world to reach the people who don't know Jesus yet and add them to this type of church. When Jesus builds his church, Acts 2, 42-47 is what it looks like. Will you pray that God will build us into that type of church? Will you pray that God will show us what that needs to look like in this day, in this age, in this culture, in this time? Will you pray that God will show us the best ways for us to live that out? Like if there are programs that help us do that, that we'll have those. If there are programs that get in the way of us doing that, that we won't have those. And it won't matter what anybody else thinks or says we should or shouldn't do. That it'll just be this. What does God want his church to look like? How do we look like that? How can can we come and say, God, we want to be your church. We want to look like your church. We need you to do it in us. Show us. Show us what you want us to do to be part of what you're doing. Show us how we can best rely on you. Show us how we can best trust you. And so if you want to take that out of today, just 242 forty seven, and just pray that for us as a church, that God would produce those things in us, that God would lead us in that way, that God would do that in our hearts, and God would help us live that out as a church. It's a great thing to walk away from Acts 2 with. Jesus has poured out his spirit. Jesus has given us his word. Jesus, please make us this type of people. We need to stop there. <laughs> we've got kids and preschoolers waiting for us, and even more than that, we've got preschool workers waiting for us, and we got soup waiting for you. If Carol hadn't eaten at all, This Jesus, whom you crucified, when he hung on the cross, it was because of your sin. It was because of my sin. He died for us. He died because of us. This Jesus, God, has raised to life. He is Lord, and he is Christ. And he pours out his grace and his spirit for you and for me to build his church and to be his people. Let's be in awe of that. Let's thank him for that. And let's ask him to keep doing that more and more in our lives. Will you pray that with me right now? Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us see him and know him and love him. I pray that right now, Father, we will worship with awe and wonder the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And Father, I pray that our hearts will melt in the presence of your grace and that you will fill us up with the power of your Spirit to make Jesus known. Build your church. Father, build your church Help us die to our church. Die to ourselves, our wisdom, our plans, our abilities, our efforts, our resources. And may you bring to life something that is fully of you and from you and for you. Father, please do this work by your grace. Do it because of Jesus. We believe, we believe that you have promised this. And so we ask with hope and with confidence do this more and more in our lives, even right now today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. During this song, we're going to have people down here to pray with you. If, you. if you'd like to just come and pray on your own, pray with somebody, talk to somebody about something God said to your heart today, or maybe for the first time in your life God's opened your eyes and you're really seeing who Jesus is. And you know, you know that you need the Savior who Jesus is Come and we'd love to talk with you about what it means to trust and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So that's why we're going to be down here. But stand and sing with us and let's worship together.